Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to just read it now. It says in verse 1, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be no benefit to you. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Today we're going to talk about freedom in Christ. I'm going to pray. God, we love you, and we need you, Lord. I am a sinner in need of great mercy. And for some reason, you see it fit that we would all be in this room doing these things in this moment, Lord. So I just pray, Father, that you are glorified. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Holy Spirit, minister to our spirit. Would you help us to cling to the freedom that is available to us and the power and the mighty and the majesty of our Lord Jesus? Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, a 15-foot reticulated python, is that how you say it, Sean? You don't know neither. Reticulated, I think it's how you say it. A 15-foot reticulated python broke free from its home in the Chatsworth neighborhood of Los Angeles. And it just leads me to ask the question, why? Right? Why ever? Why ever? Um, but anyway, it broke free from its home in Chatsworth, L.A., roaming the streets of L.A., and everybody was kind of freaking out, right? And the owner, like, put up 13, 300 flyers throughout town and was looking. And he was actually most worried about the life of the python. Like, a python can pretty much eat anything it can catch, right? So a 15-foot python is eating your pet. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's scrappy, he's gone. And, um, and so it can eat pets, it can eat humans, small and uh, small humans especially. And so people were afraid, like people weren't going outside as much, playing at the local park that was really close to this python's home where it broke free, it was roaming free in the backyard. And it actually broke free, ironically, on July 4th, and uh, what some would call the day of freedom. And um, on this day, because of the owners exercising their freedom, it led to everyone else not having as much freedom <laughs> to just be outside. And it's in moments like this that we see that not everything we call free really sets us free. And it poses a problem for our culture as well because we tend to have this negative view, what's called the negative view of freedom, like freedom from Freedom from restrictions, you know, freedom to do as I please, freedom of, of choice. But it's in these moments where we see 
that if we were to really apply that to everyday life, it becomes impossible or at best irrational for all of us to just simply be living for ourselves. And we need restrictions. We need boundaries to be able to operate individually and as a society. It just wouldn't be rational to do anything other than that. And it's actually why in New York, in New York City, you're not allowed to own a python, which should be the case, right? We need a lot of things on Lenox Ave, but we definitely don't need is a python. It would really be live on Lenox. That would be crazy. But you see, real freedom then is not the absence of restrictions. Real freedom is the presence of the right restrictions. Real freedom is not the absence of all restrictions. It is the presence of the right ones. It is by submitting to the right restrictions that we experience true freedom. You see, this snake being bound up by the owner meant real freedom for everybody else. And likewise, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free here in verse 1, because being wrapped up by the creator is the most free you could ever be. Being bound up by the power of the Holy Spirit and walking in Jesus is the most free you could ever be. And if you continue to tune in, I want to show you why that's the case. Again, he says in verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And a really big point of interest, he says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because not everything that promises freedom really sets you free. And when he said this word yoke, it would have meant something to the people listening that day. Because the average person would have dealt with cattle in their day to day. But I don't think I see any farmers in this particular room. And so I just want to explain that a little bit so that it hits home for us too. But a yoke would have been used on cattle for a specific purpose, maybe for plowing a field, for instance. And it would do two things to those animals. It would capture them in that place where the farmer wanted them to be, and it would also bind them together with other cattle so that they could achieve an intended end together. And what Paul is saying is don't submit to a yoke of slavery. But he doesn't say don't submit to any yoke. He just says don't submit to a yoke of slavery. And so here he's technically presenting two different kinds of yoke, a proper yoke and a yoke that is is truly enslaving. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't be captured and bound together toward things that enslave You And here Paul is presenting this profound truth that even the best form of freedom includes captivity to something. The best form of freedom includes captivity to something. When we think about it, even just practically, as we just talked about, right, freedom to own a python in your backyard might sound cool until it gets out. Um, we are technically pursuing these different levels of freedom, and it is by letting go of these lesser things that we might think are free that we really achieve greater levels of freedom better than 
we really know. And so Paul makes this argument here, and right in verse 1, he's trying to say that captivity to Jesus is the right kind of captivity, that you will have a yoke. Something will yoke you. You will be bound up by something. You will serve something. And if you will serve something, Paul says you ought to serve Jesus, because that is where we find true freedom. It is a freedom by way of captivity to Christ. And so what does that mean to be captive to Christ? He continues on in verse 2. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you. And, And it essentially means to be captive to Christ, like trusting in Jesus' promises to redeem, regularly walking in the truth of the Bible, in prayer, And in community, it means essentially clinging to the grace of Jesus as the grace of Jesus clings to me. This this captivity, this freedom by way of captivity to the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is God who defeated death and sin for us so that if we just simply put our faith in him, If we just simply have confidence in the character and and in the finished work of God through Jesus Christ, we are made free forever and ever. Real freedom, real lasting freedom. For freedom, Christ set us free. But you see in verse 4, Paul makes it clear that he knows that the Galatians are not really living in that freedom anymore. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. That's deep. Because he's talking to people who would consider themselves Christians. But he says, you're alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. And when he says fallen from grace, he's not really talking about the idea that like you were saved and now you're not because you've been doing the wrong thing. He, he's not, he's not trying to say that, oh, you, you've like ruined yourself. You've ruined your relationship with God on your own accord. No, but what he is giving the image of is this, you've been clinging to the grace of Jesus Christ and now you abruptly have fallen away. It's like an image of, of a shackle that was clinging to a leg, abruptly breaking away. and you, you've, you've bailed on the grace of Jesus, he's saying, to pursue these other things. And maybe Paul is talking to us as well. You, You've abruptly fallen off from the the idea and the fact that Jesus Christ alone saves you. It is by his grace we are called valid in God's eyes. Some of us will say, well, I did that because I don't really want to follow God, right? It's, it's It's too restrictive, and I want to be free from restrictions, right? Because I know when I was first figuring out the faith, it was like, Tell me how Christianity makes you free if you can, like, do, if I, if I have to do way less. Right? Can't party the same. Can't sex like I used to. Can't drink like, you know what I'm saying? I can't, there's all these different things that I was doing that I can't do. How is it freedom? Can you answer that to me? 
Because that to me seemed like imprisonment, not freedom. But Paul makes the argument that you're not really free in those things. Again, it is not that you choose whether or not you will be yoked or that you will be bound. You will be bound to something. And even in those things that I listed or some other thing, you are serving that thing. Captive to that thing. There is a yoke, it is a matter of which yoke. And so Paul makes the argument that in that you're not really free, you're just captive to something else. Because here's the thing, life is full, life is full of choosing what will and will not grab a hold of you and what you will grab a hold of. It is not a matter of freedom from all restrictions, right? There is no other way that we get good at any other thing but submitting to the right restrictions. How do you get good at your job? You have to abide by the rules of your job place or you're getting fired. I'm saying it's not like a, it's not a joke here. You, either you do or you do. You need to submit to those restrictions, And then you have the freedom of employment. If you want to get good at a sport, you have to submit to the restrictions of regular practice or else you're not going to be very good and you'll be captive on the bench. (laughs) You, you, You wanted to be free and not show up to practice and now you're sitting down. Amen? And so... So what is real freedom? Real freedom would be going to practice and doing the things you need to do to get good so you can be free to play the game that you love. It is by the captivity of regular routine that you achieve these things. You will be captive to something, but will you be captive to something that imprisons and confines or captive to something that truly sets you free? Or you might say, I'm only free because only God can judge me. Amen? And I'm so perfect, why would he want to do that? You know what I'm saying? So, so my sin doesn't matter. You know, I just, I'm going to be sinning and Jesus is going to be forgiven, right? He's going to make it do what it do. It doesn't really matter. But you see, Paul says something different in verse 5. He said, for we eagerly await through the spirit by faith, the hope of righteousness. We eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. And he's essentially saying, it's not just that you are free from sin in Jesus. You are not free to sin. We are freed from the guilt of sin. Our conscience is made clear from the guilt of sin in Jesus Christ once and for all. Amen. You are not free to sin. And here's this idea, the Holy Spirit, right? When we put our faith in Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who fills us and makes us a people who are free from sin, yet earnestly striving for the day When Jesus will come back and make us holy with finality and we are unfolding that now, we're pursuing that now, definitely you're not holy today or holier than anybody else. 
But we are progressing, growing toward that day slowly but surely, bit by bit. We're not expected to be perfect, but in Jesus, we are growing consistently. And so he's not saying it's just this, uh, you just, you, you sin and Jesus forgives and, and none of it really matters. That's not what grace means. That's actually cheapening grace. Because grace does something. Grace both covers us and calls us. The grace of Jesus Christ both covers all of our sin. And, and I want to sit there because, man, some of us, myself included, might have done some things that will haunt you for the rest of your life. Whether in physical form or even just in your mind. And you need to know the grace of Jesus Christ is truly sufficient for that thing. I promise you. In Jesus Christ, you are truly forgiven and called. In Jesus Christ, you are truly forgiven of your sin and called away from sin. The grace of Jesus Christ both covers us in our sin and calls us to something much greater. Because there's a difference between wrestling with sin and reveling in sin. You know, the Christian life is a life of grappling with the fact that we are sinful. The Christian life is a life of consistently wrestling with sin, the sin that is in us, repenting of that sin over and over and over again. But not reveling, like delighting in sin. We are free from sin, not free to sin. The last thing I'll say about not clinging to the grace of Jesus is I think there's also just confusion because sometimes Christian liberty is a, is, a, is a wisdom thing. Like I know, again, I'll just speak for myself personally. Maybe this is true of you too, but there are certain scenarios it, it just has taken me a long time. And sometimes I still honestly wrestle with, like, I don't know that I have the answer immediately about, like, what should I do in this scenario? This thing is, is legal or, you know, this... This thing is opportunity is in front of me, whether that's at work or whether that's with a substance or whether that's in a relationship. And, and do I do it? Do I take it? Do I? I don't really know. I mean, I do have freedom in Jesus. I have Christian liberty. But then what do I do? What do I do with that? I'm saying like weed is legal in New York. What, what do we make of that? What do we? These are questions I would imagine. I mean, I've asked and I would imagine if you're like me, you've asked as well, like what? How do I grapple with all the different things that are available to me in light of my relationship with God? Because it can be a difficult thing to discern. The first thing I'll say is what Paul said in verse 13 of Galatians 5. I'm skipping some verses here. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. So the, the first thing is don't take your Christian liberty as an opportunity to delight in sin or delight in disobeying God, because God does not delight in sin. But I think more practically, 
in these moments when we're trying to answer these questions, I have Christian liberty, I have freedom in Jesus Christ, but what should I do? I think we should be asking two questions based off of what Paul said. Serve one another through love. We should be asking, is this action, how does this action serve my relationship with God? How does this action serve my relationship with God? And then secondly, how does this action serve other people? Because I think when we answer those questions, we'll get a lot closer to discerning whether or not we're doing what we should be doing, whether or not what we're doing is honoring to God or not, right? What I'm getting ready to do, is this action going to draw me closer to God or further away? Is this action going to make me want to be around God's people or want to recoil in shame? Is this action that I'm getting ready to do, honoring, serving this young woman or young man? Or is it just for my own intended purposes? Is it for my own self-gain and self-profit? Because I think when we begin to answer those questions, how does it serve my relationship with God? And how does it serve other people? We will get a lot closer to understanding how we're exercising our freedom in Jesus because you will be yoked by something. Something will bind you up. You will serve something. And that is why Jesus said in Matthew 11, 29 and 30, he said, take my yoke and learn from me. Jesus knows you you will be yoked, you will be bound up by something. Jesus says, take my yoke. Take the yoke of Jesus, not the yoke of slavery. Because you will be captive and serve one another through love. When you think about this idea of love, it really shows us a lot. It shows us that True freedom is not freedom of all restrictions because love relationships do place restrictions on your life. But they're freeing. The love of a parent is freeing, though they give you rules. The the love of a spouse, surely, but we're not only talking about romantic love. A love of a spouse is surely freeing. The love of a neighbor It's freeing. It frees you to to know you can walk down your block and where you are known and safe. The love of a coworker, it, it frees you to work because you know not only are you appreciated for your work, but you got some job security, amen? And so that's freeing. But that freedom comes from that love relationship, loving your work, loving the people that you work around and following those rules and restrictions that are in place at your place of employment. Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. Why? Because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls He doesn't say, take my yoke because I figured it out better than the five percenters down the block. No, he says, take my yoke, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. How? 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. He doesn't say, take my yoke because I got, I got these pillars for you to follow. They're going to be real enlightened. And uh, take my yoke because I have these altruistic principles for you to follow that will really get you to the most fulfillment and, and self-help status. No, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because under God's commands is where we are the most free. Under the command of Jesus Christ, who saves us, is where we are the most free. And can I tell you, it is a lie from the pit of hell that the commands of God are anything other than a blessing. In Genesis, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them and with a commandment. He commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. And from that point, we see from there throughout the rest of the Bible and throughout all of history that the promises and the blessings and the freedom of God have always been equated with the commandments of God. They're not in opposition to one another. God's commands are not in opposition to freedom. But what did Satan say shortly after? Did God really say all of that? Did he really say that in Genesis 3? That's what he said. And from that point on, we have believed naturally that the commandments of God are something other than a blessing. But the Bible presents freedom as identical with submission to God, not opposed to it. Take the yoke of Jesus. You will find rest for your soul, for real, forever. I'm going to pray. God, we love you. And we just praise you, God, that you are really good and holy and perfect and just. And we are not. And that's why we pray to you, Lord God, because we think we want justice, but we don't. We would prefer things are bent unjustly in our favor. God, we love you and we need you. God, we take the yoke of Jesus and put down the yoke of slavery this morning, Lord all of the different things going on in our lives, Lord God, we, bring, we, we don't ignore them in this moment. We bring them to you, to your throne, Lord God, and we lay them down and say, give me a new yoke, one that frees, one that is light, one that does not weigh down, one that is easy because you have rest for your beloved there is rest for our souls in you, Lord God, in all of our striving and all of our trying and in all of our hustling and bustling down the streets of New York. You say, come and eat and drink forever in your court without payment and without price. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.